Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So I'm hearing from many, many people um, uh, that one of the greatest challenges is feeling genuinely isolated. And our, our sense that we are lacking in community um, because we cannot be physically present with one another is real, but it is not as real as the kinds of isolation that others experience. And so um, don't stop giving thanks. And don't stop giving thanks for others. That was actually what Paul did when he was in prison um, in the midst of what I could only imagine is really severe isolation in terms of any kind of positive interaction that he was able to have, particularly with the body of Christ. And from prison, Paul writes things like in Ephesians 1.16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Um peace be with you. Um, he talks about um, the fact that at one stage, uh, and this is in Second Timothy, no one came to his support. Everyone deserted me. And yet, and yet, Paul found encouragement even in prison. He writes, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So there's no question that Paul felt this like lonely ache of abandonment. I mean, this is, you know, in Second Timothy, he says, only Luke was with me. And then he says, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. And in the very next verse, Second Timothy 4, 17, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. If you are feeling abandoned today, if you are feeling as if there's no one standing by your side, there's no one coming to your aid or support, you have not been deserted by God. The Lord stands at your side. Allow him to give you strength. Paul had developed the very mind of Christ on the matters of the day, and he he recognized that um, he was more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthened him. He recognized that circumstances are what they are, and they will be what they will be. And in the midst of every circumstance, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ill, we still belong to God, and God is with us. He has made his dwelling place among us. We are physical temples of his Holy Spirit. We are his beloved children, and he wants nothing more than for us to recognize in this very moment that he is closer to us than our very next breath. So take a deep breath, my friends. Take a deep breath this morning. God is that near. He comes alongside the brokenhearted, and he is with us even now. Bill English is uh, here to join me in a conversation about what is happening related to the CARES Act uh, and how you and I, as people who are engaged in enterprise today, um, can make good use of what the government is uh, seeking to do for us and with us. So that's up next. 
BibleandBusiness.com. Wise man, Bill English, here next. Now, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well, sir. Thank you so much. And you? I'm, I'm actually pretty good. Good. I'm actually really good. So. Okay. Let's, um, let's just start with um, the CARES Act. Uh, it's really long. Um, people are talking about it. I would say most people don't know what they need to be asking about it, and so just aren't doing anything because they have so many questions. So what are the key things maybe that we need to know about this, you know, giant coronavirus bill? Um, And then what are the, you know, what's the short list of things that we need to do related to it? So uh, the CARES Act essentially is divided into two parts, one personal and one business. On the personal side, that's where you're hearing about getting a $1,200 check per adult and $500 check per kid. You don't need to do anything to get that money. It's just going to come to you. If you've already set up direct deposit through the IRS uh, to um, have your tax refunds direct deposited into your account, then they're going to use that that information to direct deposit the $1,200 and the $500 checks directly into your checking account. If for some reason that direct deposit doesn't work or you don't have it uh, uh, set up, then they're going to print physical checks and mail them to you. The government is able to print, uh, from what I understand, about 5 million checks a day. They're actually very good at printing checks. Uh, But 5 million a day when you have 300 million some people Uh, it's going to take a while for the printed checks to get out. I do know people who have already received their direct deposits, and I think the the government is doing both right away. So on the personal side, you don't need to do anything. Just sit back and wait for the money to come in. If you're unemployed, go file for unemployment. And understand that as soon as your employer is able to be approved and be funded for their payroll protection program loan, then in theory, you will be put back on your employer's payroll and uh, you should be receiving your normal check at at the normal frequency uh, and you'll still be sitting at home doing nothing. Or maybe your employer will find something for you to do, but uh, you'll basically be doing nothing. So that's that's the personal side. So before I go to the business side, let me just stop, Carmen, and see what thoughts or questions either you or Paul might have. Well, I I appreciate um, the clarification in terms of, you know, there's nothing that anybody needs to do in terms of um, getting the $1,200 uh, and $500 per child, um, I don't know what we're calling this, credit, gift, gift of the government. Um, yes. So that, that, gift, yeah. that, that's helpful to know. Um, and then I'm I'm ready to move to the to the business side of the of the conversation. Unless Paul's got something, Paul, you got a question? No, actually, I don't. I've been following him pretty closely, so we're, we're good. Because he has great stuff posted at BibleandBusiness.com. All right, exactly. Go, Bill. Yeah. 
go. So on the business side, uh, first of all, if you already have an SBA loan, I'm going to throw some terms out here, and I'll define them very quickly for you. Uh, there are 7A loans, which are basically general working capital loans that, that business owners use for uh, just pay all kinds of expenses, rent, product development, whatever it may be. If you have a 7A loan or if you have a 504 loan, a 504 is used uh, to purchase uh, plant and equipment and real estate. So if you have a 7A, a 504, what they call a micro loan, uh, the government is going to make your SBA payments, both principal and interest, for the next six months, and you don't have to pay that back. It's not a deferment, and it isn't counted as income on your uh, income statement. The government simply is going to go in and make those payments for you for six months. So if you already have an SBA 7A or 504 loan, you don't need to do anything. Government's going to make those principal and interest payments for six months. Uh, then... The second part of this is the one that's getting all the attention, which is that PPP, the Payroll Protection Program. What the government basically has said is that they are providing 10 weeks of payroll plus rent plus utilities to businesses that have been shut down by the coronavirus, really shut down by the governors uh, because they, you know, we can't congregate at their places of business, so they're effectively shut down. And the intent of the of Congress is to say, if you're one of those businesses that is shut down because of the virus, we're going to give you enough money to meet the pay, meet your normal payroll, pay your rent, pay the or pay the interest on your mortgage, and to pay your utilities for ten weeks. Now, how did they come up with ten weeks? They came up with ten weeks by saying that that's how long they thought the virus shutdown was going to last at the time that they were putting the bill together, which, by the way, was early to mid-March. President Trump signed this bill on March 30th. So you have a March view in terms of timeline of what the bill actually is going to cover. They say 10 weeks. That's why you go back, you look at your payroll for 2019, you, you get your monthly average of payroll uh, plus your monthly average of rent and utilities. Uh, then you take one month of that, multiply it by 2.5, which that's where you get your 10 weeks. And that's the amount of loan that you can apply for in the payroll protection program. If the employer uses that money for those intended purposes, the government will forgive the loan. Straight up. So this is straight up free money for businesses so that they don't go out of business and we don't end up displacing tens of millions of workers and business owners through no fault of their own. So I'll stop there and see what kind of questions or thoughts, and I know we're probably up against a break already anyways, uh, but I'll, I'll stop at this point and see, see what your thoughts are. Well, let's do that. Let's take a break, and then I'll formulate a thought. How's that sound? Oh, sounds good. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We are talking about the CARES Act. We have talked about uh, the personal side of it. We have begun talking about the business side of it, in particular the payroll protection program and the 10 weeks of payroll provided through that. Um, the idea here 
is to give loans and um, and then, you know, forgiveness, basically, for this COVID-19 business interruption that businesses are experiencing. We are talking about small businesses, I think. There's also an incentive in here to rehire workers, which would move them then off of unemployment rolls, which have just exploded. Um, and then there's also delayed tax filings related to this as well. Bill, anything um, anything that we want to continue talking about there, or maybe we want to pivot to a timeline conversation and a conversation about how this impacts nonprofits. Yeah, let's uh, let's yeah let's let me dovetail the nonprofit part. This this uh, program also covers nonprofits as well as individual sole proprietors, self-employed, and independent contractors, which SBA has never dealt with before. Okay. And so uh, this program is much more comprehensive in that way. Uh, in addition, I just want you guys, uh, all, everybody who's eligible here to understand on the business side, that you can also apply for an EIDL, an Economic Injury Disaster Loan, out at sba.gov forward slash disaster. You can apply for a, a disaster loan, which is different from and separate from the payroll protection program. The two are not related. The the disaster loan uh, is up to two million and is not forgivable, and you will have to pay it back. Uh, but it might also provide you some working capital, and that's where that ten thousand dollar advance in the businesses is coming from. It's coming from the idle, not the payroll protection program. Now back to the pr- payroll protection okay, can program. I, can yeah, I interrupt yeah, you ahead. for just a second? We have a listener question. Yeah. I yeah. think the answer is yes, but I want to hear you say it. Is the payroll protection loan program the same for businesses that stay open as well as those that have temporarily closed? Yes. All right. So, Sheila, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes. Bill. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter whether you're open or closed. Uh, It's the same program. Good. And so if if you're open, go ahead and apply for it. Now, here's here's, on, on the timing front, just understand what we're up against here as a nation. In a normal year, the Small Business Administration will do about $30 billion of loans, give or take. Okay, you know. Here, we're asking them to do $350 billion, 10 times, almost 12 times the amount of loans that they would do in a year. We're asking them to do it in a month. Their systems are not set up for this. The bankers that I'm talking to are saying that their portal is regularly crashing. And it's, it's just becoming more and more difficult for these preferred SBA lenders to enter the information into the SBA portal because there's so many loans trying to be processed at the same time. That's going to elongate the amount of time that it takes for businesses to get their money so that they can make payroll to their employees. And I, I just think everybody needs to understand that this is not going to happen in a matter of days. It's probably going to happen in a matter of weeks. All right. Um, Bill, we do have a question um, from a listener. You know, this. what about the ruinous debt that this puts us in? We were you already know, in um, ruinous debt. I mean, I... Yeah, honestly, we're at $23.9 trillion. I checked this morning. You can go out to debt to the penny. And look at the debt every day. We're at twenty-three point nine trillion. This, I suspect, this is going to add by the time all of these stimulus bills are done, somewhere around five trillion to our debt. And I'm not trying to be cavalier with this, but what's 
what's five trillion among friends, right? You know, I mean, we're going to go from 23 or 24 trillion to probably 28, 29 trillion. At some point, another few trillion just doesn't matter. Well, uh, and the alternative is to just simply allow the U.S. Co- economy to, com- to completely collapse and us move into um, a future that is not filled with hope. I mean, I, at some point, yeah. I mean, you have to deal. I recognize that it's ruinous debt. And so I don't want to suggest that I'm failing to recognize that. I'm also recognizing that we have a current situation that we have to deal with. And then, yes, we will have to deal with the future that it creates. I mean, every idea has a consequence. Part of the reason that we had such a tepid exit of the 2008-2009 recession was because people left the market and they never came back. Workers left the workforce and they never came back. And it took 10 years for us to bring all of those workers that we lost in that recession back to the workforce. What the Treasury and the Federal Reserve and the Congress are trying to do this time is not repeat the mistakes of the last time. They're trying to keep everybody employed because in the long run, it's better for our economy. It's better for our populace. It's better for us as a nation if people are working rather than sitting on the sidelines. You know, work is a gift from God. Work gives us dignity. It gives us purpose. It gives us hope. And they're trying to keep everybody employed because they don't want to see happen this time what happened from the last recession. All right. Is, is there um, is there help for people who just simply find the forms too complicated? Uh, yes, they can contact their local banker and have the banker help them. Uh, now, be prepared. If you don't have a good relationship with your banker, you're going to be put at the bottom of the list because these bankers are swamped just trying to service their current customer list. Uh, but they can help you. And I believe that if you just go out and look at the um, follow the very good instructions that are at the end of each of the applications, for the most part, you should be able to get through them pretty well. It's only a two page application to get through the payroll protection loan. Uh, I have not seen the loan application yet for the midsize businesses, those with 500 to 2000 employees. Uh, We have not seen guidance or the loan application on those yet. And those should be coming any day, but and those will be a lot more complicated. But the smaller ones, it, it's only a two-page application. And by the way, um, U.S. Bank has a really slick online portal for this. So if you don't have a bank that you're working with, you may want to try U.S. Bank. Bill, as always, thank you so very much. You guys can find Bill English at Bible and Business dot com. He's got uh, Zoom meetings going on, meeting with. Um, owners, you can check that out at BibleAndBusiness.com as well. Um, Bill, thank you as always so much. Hey, thank you. Have a good day. You too. We'll be right back. So I know that this is a topic that we would rather not think about, but there are an awful lot of kids at home right now who are not safe at home under stay-home orders across many states across the country. Um, School is a much safer place for many kids than home is. And so up next, I'm talking with attorney Kimberly Norris from Ministry Safe about uh, the challenges that families and churches and schools and kids are facing today uh, in this 
in this strange new world in which we live. And we're also going to talk about how to help kids who we know are not safe at home. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Tomorrow is Maundy Thursday. It's the Thursday of Holy Week. My colleague Susie Larson and I will be co-hosting a live event at MyFaithRadio.com. You just log on just a few minutes prior to 7 p.m. Central, and there'll be a link there for you to join the live event. Uh, Susie and I will work our way through relevant passages in the Gospel of John. We're all reading the Gospel of John together in the lead up to Easter, and we find ourselves in the Holy Week portion of uh, of those scriptures. So we're going to spend time in John 13 to 18 if you want to read in with us prior to tomorrow evening's live event. Susie will be sharing some reflections, um, and we will be praying with you and for you as you share your prayer concerns with us. So again, join us for the live event at MyFaithRadio.com. Join it just prior to 7 p.m. Central tomorrow night. The event starts at 7 p.m. My, co- uh, my colleague Susie Larson and I will, would love to have you join us um, again tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Central at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. One of the most difficult relationship questions is, what do you do with your opposite you? Your opposite you is the person with whom you fundamentally disagree. You adhere to different codes of behavior and dress and faith. How does God want us to respond to the opposite views of the world? I wonder if the best answer might be found in the short admonition to accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This verb accept, paralambano, means more than tolerate or coexist. It means to welcome into one's fellowship and heart. The word implies the warmth and kindness of genuine love. Paul employed the verb when he urged Philemon to welcome the slave Onesimus, and Jesus used it to describe the manner in which he receives us. Accept your opposite you. This is Max Licato. Now is Kimberly Norris. She is a sexual abuse trial attorney. She represents victims of abuse. Um, she is also a consultant, uh, testifying expert in abuse cases. She provides crisis management and uh, and all kinds of responsive counsel to ministries of all sizes. Um, she is a part of uh, Ministry Safe, which I'm going to invite you to check out at Ministry Safe. dot com. Uh, she has trained staff members of churches and nonprofits. Uh, in in child abuse uh, prevention um, and and all kinds of other related issues. I mean, nearly half a million ministry staff members and volunteers across the country have been trained by Kimberly, and it's just a, a privilege and a pleasure to have you join us today on Mornings with Carmen. So, Kimberly Norris, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, lots of questions arising right now related to. Um, stay at home orders meaning that there are lots of victims of domestic abuse and in here we're going to specifically focus in on children who under stay at home orders or stay home orders are not safe at home can you just 
reflect on that for a moment? Yeah, so there are a couple of issues that parents should be aware of here. Um, one of them is in distance learning paradigms with both school and youth ministry. Um, we've really encouraged ministries to have a safety committee in place that's addressing the uh, instruction that's coming to students of any age, um, that those interactions be with at least two to three students at a time, no one-to-one. Um, we've encouraged uh, the ministries that we interact with to have a an individual who's reviewing what content is being sent to kids, um, to communicate with parents what types of controls that are being put in place by the school, by the ministry related to interaction with their child in a distance learning or technical construct. Um, and, you know, parents just need to be asking questions of the places, schools, uh, youth ministry context, places that are sending their kids, um, having interaction with their kids in a, a distance learning context or technical context. Um, to ask, what parameters do you have in place? How are you protecting my child from specific content? Um, one place that we're seeing, for instance, um, warning schools from using YouTube as a access point for even uh, educational materials, uh, because YouTube has a lot of content in the sidebar that wouldn't be appropriate for um, students or children. Um, we've also had some reports of some Zoom uh, hack-in issues and distance learning where pornographic content was interjected in the midst of a Zoom um, communication. Um, so parents just need to be aware and asking questions of the places that are interacting with their students while they're at home. Um, another big issue is older kids watching younger kids while parents are um, working in, in another room or in another location for those services that have to continue to be provided. Um, I would really caution parents to be very cautious in having um, especially early to mid-teen male teens um, directly babysitting younger kids without um, adequate supervision. Um, because we know peer-to-peer -peer issues are going to be exacerbated by this stay-at-home order when they're not properly supervised. Um, those are some basics. I think you also need to be really willing to monitor content that your um, early, your preteens and your teens are gaining access to as they're surfing the net and, um, what, binging on Netflix. I'm really being diligent about placing some parameters on that uh, and understanding what your child is viewing. And what they're posting. I, I'll, I'll just confess to you, Kimberly, I've been, I've been a little shocked and surprised um, at some things on, you know, that if, if I can see them as an adult, um, because I'm, you know, your parent's friend, then you're posting and I'm alarmed by it. Um, you know, then you're probably posting stuff in, in more private settings that's even more graphic. And so it, the content, it is interesting how, um, oh gosh, reliant we have just overnight become on devices and technology that just a few weeks ago, we were all vigilant about being sure our kids were supervised, their screen time was limited, there were only certain places and spaces where they could go, and now it is like it's just turned into a free-for-all. I hear you saying that's not safe. Yeah, I think we have to really um, battle against parental fatigue 
in addressing this these issues. And, you know, we've all been there where it's easy to use technology as your child's babysitter. It's easy to use technology as a place your child wants to escape to and they have something to do for a space and time. But we really need to battle uh, the fatigue that comes from this length of time where we're all around each other and with relatively limited um, activities or things to do that we don't rely too heavily or relax our vigilance in terms of what our kids are being exposed to. I have learned um, that the computer that the school provides at school actually is only limited at school. The tech related to that computer is not limited when that computer is at my house. Like I have to, and and I can't add parental controls to that computer because it's a computer that has restrictions that the, that the school system put on it. So we're just not using that computer. Like if I can't, if I can't control the access that a child has in terms of the internet, they cannot use that particular device. Am I, am I crazy? No, I think that's wise. We know from um, significant studies, Masters and Johnson, three years ago, that the average age of first exposure of a male child to pornography in the United States today, this was three years ago, was eight years of age. And that's typically coming from smartphones and computers. So if you, I have long been a significant advocate on parental controls and also parental oversight. Tell your child, I'm going to be viewing your history and do it. I mean, one, don't create access. That's the, don't let the, the camel in the tent. Um, but simply telling your child um, proactively, I will be periodically viewing your history. And so don't go there. There will be ramifications that include loss of the privilege of use. Should I find anything that's outside the parameters of uh, what we have discussed as appropriate or not? Um, and I think those. I, I think you're wise to not allow use uh, of a computer that you can't govern what's going to be on it or not. The other um, potential solution, not for that specific circumstance, but just in general, I think your child's computer use should occur in a very public area of your home. Mm-hmm. That's that they yeah. don't have an expectation of privacy. Totally agree. All right, Kimberly Norris, um, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, she and I are going to pivot. We're going to start talking about summer when hopefully we're going to get back to a different rhythm. Um, We're going to talk about what parents need to consider when looking at options for this summer. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and admit, yes, it's a little scary to talk to Kimberly Norris, but it's important. Um, Sexual abuse is real. Many, many kids are exposed um, to things they ought not be victimized by at a very early age. And then we spend a lifetime in the aftermath of that trauma. So to protect as many kids as possible from as many predators as possible, Kimberly Norris uh, works with Ministry Safe. We want to direct you there, ministrysafe.com. Lots of resources, um, uh, particularly I I find that there are tons of resources under the Who We Are tab. Um, If you just want to jump to the Who We Are tab at ministrysafe.com, you can find lots of really great resources there, Um, uh, uh, just just tons of stuff. So, uh, Kimberly, again, thank you so much for helping to equip us today 
as parents and ministry leaders. Let's talk about the summer. I remember the last conversation I had with you uh, about summer camp, and it made me basically not want to ever send my kids to summer camp. But there are lots of summer camps, and we are considering those this summer. Talk with us about that. So um, parents, don't feel afraid to send your kids back to camp. If anybody has a handle on this issue in terms of health issues, it's going to be camp environments, um, particularly those who have rigorous licensure requirements. Um, As it relates to child sexual abuse issues, I would encourage parents to check out camps that have an affiliation with the Christian Camp and Conference Association. Uh, The CCCA has made a significant effort um, to equip its member camps with um, resources and tools and trainings, including ministry safe training, um, to um, screen effectively, supervise effectively, train their camp counselors, um, understand how to specifically address this risk. Um, so camp, you know, I'm a, I'm a young life staff brat. I get the reality in many respects, at least in your walk with Christ, that life change happens at camp. I believe that. And um, some of your best experiences as a kid can occur in a Christ-based camp. Um, so checking out those camps that have a direct affiliation, membership affiliation with CCCA is a direction that I would encourage parents to head. Um, Again, I've seen those member camps make significant um, efforts to be very proactive in addressing this risk in those contexts. I'm a Young Life Camp Christian. Really? Yeah, I came to Christ at Windy Gap in Western North Carolina when I was 16 years old. Yep, my dad was uh, camp director and speaker at Windy Gap and Silvercliff and Frontier along the way. So I'm a a camp fan. George Norris is my daddy. I love that. All right. Hey, shout out to George. I love that. Um, All right. uh, Back to the topic um, at hand. Um, Talk with us a little bit about um, navigating the tension with our teenagers. They they want um, increasing freedom, particularly after after this time that we're going to all be intensely together. Kids are going to want some freedom. They're going to want freedom from us, and they're going to want to go and do things. Um, how do you have those, how do you navigate those conversations about, you know, I, I want them to know the realities of the world um, and I want them to be vigilant and safe in it. But I, I just, it's so hard to communicate. I don't want them to be afraid. Like I want them to be mm-hmm. vigilant, but not afraid. Hel- help me with that. Yeah. So I don't think it starts when they're teenagers. I think it starts when they're very young. Um, I started in an age-appropriate way with my daughter when she was three uh, in terms of just sexual topics, sexuality, the reality of sexual abuse issues. Um, But one thing that I would suggest is if you're not comfortable with the subject matter to begin with, then take a look at the baseline training at Ministry Safe, which is sexual abuse awareness training. You can buy buy a single use and go review the training. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches who have their youth volunteers 13 and up take our baseline training, sexual abuse awareness training. And, um, you know, if your child is mature enough to be volunteering in at church or at day camp or VBS or that sort of thing, then they're mature enough to, to, um, 
absorb that content. And that by itself would go a long way toward equipping them with appropriate information. But I think the conversation starts early. And um, I think that you have open lines of communication. You understand where your child is spending time. You vet the places that your child is spending time. And by that, I mean camp, sports, um, your school, your youth ministry in terms of the policies that they have in place. Um, I, I'm a fan, and this is something that some parents don't want to take the time to do, but um, we told our girl that we owned her phone and we had access to the content. And it became a way for her to communicate to those who were sending her inappropriate content that her parents have access to her phone and periodically review it. And where I don't think that she would have been the one to generate inappropriate content, it became a way for her to say, don't send that to me Mm. Uh, because, because we regularly reviewed the phone. And it was a protective element for her, but she also used it as a sword, if you will. Um, So I think that's a a protective element that you can put in place. And we kind of, unabashedly made our house the fun place to go. We hosted a lot of the even high school dances for our relatively small Christian school. Um, And that was intentional because we know what's going on at our house. Um, I vetted pretty heavily where my child was allowed to spend the night and she didn't start doing that until she was um, old enough to understand the potential issues involved. And again, I'm not I'm not center. I'm not in the center. I'm left of center in terms of being proactive about addressing this specific risk, because clearly in my 29 years in this realm, I've seen the worst of the worst. Um, But the downside of being wrong is has a huge price tag. Um, So I was um, very proactive with my girl to communicate along the way. Um, Even things like don't go to the bathroom by yourself. Take a buddy, have a wingman. Evelyn woman. Um, if you, I had a code word with my child that she could use by text or by telephone. And it meant come get me now. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have to say, I feel uncomfortable. I feel afraid. It meant come get me now. We used it twice in life, but it was useful. Um, so I think kids are far more, my experiences, um, I say this as a student ministry volunteer and former young life leader and mother of a now 23 year old, our kids have a whole lot more savvy than we think they have in terms of sexual topics. And that's because our culture is far more sexualized than it was even when we were kids. And so the idea that some of us have had with our preteen kids, early teen kids, that they don't, they're not exposed to this stuff or they don't know about it or they haven't heard about it is pretty much not accurate. Um, yeah, so, they're, they're savvy and we're naive in many, many well, cases. Yeah. Right. And so just having those conversations in a pretty upfront, transparent kind of way, I found to be the best route. And, you know, I told my girl, um, as we had these conversations along the way, and again, they started when she was literally three, four or five years of age, that Um, I would answer, honestly, any question she asked about sexual topics and that if it ever became something that was more than she wanted to discuss, that she could shut it down until she was ready for more. And I think that that forthright interaction really served her the older she got. 
Um, so I think she's very sensitive about these issues, child sexual abuse issues, in part because of the home in which she was raised, but partially right. because of very direct conversation. And none of it was ever fear-based. I mean, from my standpoint, right. knowledge is power. Amen. Kimberly Norris, um, we're going to have to leave it right there. Thank you, as always, uh, for joining us. You guys can find Kimberly at ministrysafe.com. Encourage you to check out those resources. She also made reference um, to CCCA, which is at CCCA.org, if you're looking for Christian camps for this summer. Kimberly, um, thank you for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, you're welcome, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. All right, friends, that is um, all the time we have today. Let me encourage you, uh, if you've got time today and interest, go to leadercheckin.org, leadercheckin.org, nationwide event happening live all day today, and it's free. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.